everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast. This time around, we have, of course, our panel, Joe Henderson, Tom Jackson, and live from New York, it's Alan Steinberg. Ah, uh, uh, the home of the Mets. The home of the Mets. That's there. You go. Uh, they got to be somewhere, right? So, yep. <laughs> since last we spoke, gentlemen, we have a lot of things going on. We've got emails that uh, are going to Capitol Hill from the FBI. We've got a speech that uh, Mr. Trump gave on foreign policy, or I guess it would be more along the lines of of uh, national defense and uh, what he was going to do to eradicate ISIS and uh, a little bit of everything, all kinds of fun stuff. So tell you what, uh, let's, Alan, anything on your mind to, to kick things off here that you think uh, that caught your eye uh, this week that you think might be of interest? Yes, I, I think the uh, thing that is going to be most interesting is how Trump behaves in the next 24 to 48 hours. I mean, he has a pattern where he can give a, a thoughtful speech. I may not agree with the thoughts. I may not agree with what he's saying, but he'll give a thoughtful speech like he gave on the economy. He gave on ISIS. Uh, but then within 24 to 48 hours, he'll go to one of his rallies and he'll just say something off the wall. I think he gets I'm not trying to play amateur psychiatrist. I think he gets a big high out of his rallies, and I think that he feeds off that. So that's the thing I'm really looking forward to seeing. Joseph? Well, I am going to be really curious to see how this partnership with, between Trump and Roger Ailes progresses. Uh, Ailes has agreed to help him with draft prep, and that's certainly going to be a, a well-watched event that the, the uh, the excuse me, the debate prep, not draft prep. What am I thinking? It's fantasy football season. But anyway, no, uh, debate prep, and it's something that could make or break uh, Trump's campaign. Roger Ailes certainly knows a little bit about uh, how to get to perform in the uh, spotlight, and if he could get Trump back on that straight conservative message, uh, he might be able to. Uh, Swing a few voters who right now think he's crazy into thinking, well, maybe he's not so bad after all. So I'm going to be watching that partnership. Well, you know, to that point, just uh, for those of you out there listening to the Politically Incorrect podcast who may not know it, Roger Ailes did uh, prep for debate Richard Nixon and also uh, Ronald Reagan. So he does have some uh, history in that in that department. Mr. Jackson. Anything that uh, you're looking forward to this week? Well, the first thing I'm looking for, Jim, is for you to introduce yourself because you introduced us and you didn't introduce. We are we are moderated today by Jim Williams, who is the uh, Washington editor for News Talk Radio and uh, and NewsTalk dot com, uh, NewsTalkFlorida.com. And uh, I, I, I hate that you skipped over that because I like to, I, I like our listeners to know who you are. Now, having said that, thank you, Tom. I, I, you're you're very welcome. Uh, Alan has a has a great piece on, the, and I don't. I'm not doing this just to, to suck up and tout the cover of of News Talk Florida right now. But but in fact, um, Alan has a fascinating piece about the backdoor plan for uh, for Donald Trump. 
maybe getting out of the race at some point. And he's not the only one talking about this. This thing actually has currency. Uh, on, on Morning Joe today, uh, Joe Scarborough and Danny Deutsch both talking about if this guy gets to some point in the race, and it may be as early as Labor Day, and still sees himself down 9, 10, 11 points and being swamped in the, in the, in the, in the so-called swing states, I mean, Georgia's even in play right now, so that's not really a – that's amazing. Uh, if he sees himself with the possibility of being labeled a loser and a big-time loser, he may say – Alan's right. He, he may very well say, fellas, I have brought you this far. I have laid it down, but I don't want to take I, – I, I don't want Hillary Clinton to be the president, and maybe it's just not me to, to finish, the, finish the job. I, I – I think that that is something that is it, – it, it's really something that is worth watching. Let me interject something, if I may, and I thank you, Tom, for your very kind comments. Uh, it's a great show. I'm very serious to be on with a, a uh, moderator and a host of, with Jim's competency above all issues and two incisive journalists like uh, Joe and Tom. This is a great opportunity for me. But let me mention something in connection with this that I think uh, all three of you will relate to immediately. Uh, newspapers nowadays in America, the economics are very bad. And in fact, journalism is not a great career to go into because so many newspapers are going out of the paper business and they're going online. And I made a prediction about uh, five years ago, uh, and I'm not happy about this, but I said within 10 years you would only have about seven newspapers in America like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, uh, and Los Angeles Times and a Miami Herald, and they would all have local supplements. Well, unfortunately, this process may be going a little quicker than I thought, but I mention this because when it comes to investigative reporting, the New York Times has the best investigative reporting in the country. I don't agree with their editorials. I often disagree with their journalists, but their investigative reporting uh, department is the best. And I found out I was covered extensively by the Times in my governmental career, what the Times does is before they investigate anything, they have an editorial board meeting, and they budget for their investigation. Now, I mention all this because of the Paul Manafort situation. I can tell you this. Uh, I don't know this for a fact, but the pattern with the Times is they will give you the article laying out all the issues involved, but normally they'll give about 10 days for people to react and their normal pattern is that after those 10 days, they will publish one more bombshell on the subject. And I've got a feeling, I don't have any evidence of this, I've got a feeling that they're going to have something really nasty about Manafort. I could be wrong, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I mention this because I think if Manafort leaves the campaign, he could leave either because of the Times coverage or he could leave because he's tired of having a candidate that he just has no control over in, in Trump. If he leaves, I think the whole house of cards in the Trump campaign will collapse, and Donald will feel that his brand damage is out of control, and he'll leave. I mean, that's a great point, um, uh, speaking of brand damage. But one of the, uh, first of all, I think his brand is already damaged. I think that's, I agree. that ship has sailed. But uh, another thought, and I think this was also kicked around a morning, Joe, is that what has happened is that the Republican Party, as we know it, is no more, that it is essentially a third party now. Uh, it's the Trump Party. 
So Trump, he may uh, he may well do what you su- uh, suggest he might and walk away from the nomination, or he might stick it through to the end. But when this when this is over and Hillary Clinton is sitting in the Oval Office, I I believe that Trump there's a really good possibility that he will uh, spawn a a strong viable third party that will take all of the disgusted uh, upset voters who back Trump to begin with, give them a rallying place and force then the Republican party as we know it to retrench and try to, to rebrand itself uh, in a more normal way than the, uh, than they've done the last few years. I agree a hundred percent. You, you put your finger right on that and, I, and I'll take it one step further than what you said. The problem is Republicans like uh, like like me, uh, who have had to uh, endorse Hillary Clinton because we are so repelled by Trump's message. What are we going to do? Like I'm a small government guy, I'm a free trade guy, I'm a national interest foreign policy guy. I'm not an isolationist like Trump. Uh, I have a feeling that I am in a minority. I'm in the traditional Bill Buckley conservative, Ronald Reagan conservative. And this is no longer a majority in the Republican Party. Trump does have – he's a loser in any election he runs for nationally. He'll never win. But he does have uh, the backing of so many uh, white uh, working men, uh, class individuals, not college educated. There's a large number, and that enables him to have almost a veto power over any nomination. So conservatives uh, like me – we have to find a new vehicle. You know, we're not at home with the Democrat Party because we're small government people. Uh, we have different foreign policy views than the Democrats. And uh, we are, we're really adrift and lost. We could have, we, as you say, we could have three parties. I, or the possibility is that the Republican Party may go the way of the Whigs in the 1850s. But uh, I, and I'm concerned for one more reason. There's going to be a – Obamacare is a disaster – and Obamacare is already collapsing of its own weight. Now, due to the stupidity of the Republicans and not focusing on Obamacare, this is a great issue. Anyone else other than Donald Trump could have made this a winning issue. But after the election, we're faced with a health care crisis. And in the Republican Party, there is no coherent ideology right now to address it. And Jackson, well, I- go ahead. You, uh, you as a fellow Republican, what um- – what say you on this issue? I think that it is fascinating that my colleagues are ready to write off a party that has won 900 fresh uh, legislative seats, state, state legislative seats in the past uh, six and a half, eight years, uh, who are writing off the number of governors that have won as Republicans since the election of Barack Obama who are writing off the historic uh, uh, majorities that Republicans enjoyed in the House of Representatives and the Senate, um, all because of this crazy guy who manages to tap into a plurality of a minority of the Republican Party who managed to, to, to lure Cretans out from the, the crevices of the Republican Party during the, during the primary season and think that because this guy managed to get the nomination and will go down in flames, that it will be the end of the GOP. I think it will be a retrenching of the GOP, and, and, the, and the message that rang out that switched 900 
legislative seats nationwide and switched governorships nationwide will be the one that carries forward and will be and and reasonable republicans will take back the party and and in 2018 there will begin the revolution all over again now at that point i'm concerned that an awful lot of damage that can't be easily reversed with a democrat in the white house will have will have taken place um and it, it will it will be a hard lesson for republicans to learn i mean the the lesson out of 1972 was you can have ideological purity but you can you can have ideological purity but you definitely want to be elected because if you don't have power you can't do anything tom i'm with you 100% uh, and i hope you're right as to what develops i don't know but i want to echo something you said also about ideological purity Bill Buckley, who was my ultimate intellectual uh, guiding light, Bill Buckley used to say that he favored the most electable conservative. The problem is now that too often people just want the most conservative. They don't care if uh, he or she has as much chance of winning an American election as I have of becoming the mayor of Riyadh. Uh, That's the problem right now, but you've put your finger on that as well. Real quick, guys, uh, just wanted to remind everyone they're listening to the Politically Incorrect podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host and moderator, Washington Bureau Chief of News Talk Florida. You're listening to us on News Talk Florida and also on blogtalkradio.com. And um, my question to Alan and to Tom, and Joe, if you want to chime in, obviously, please do. Tom, I, I, I understand and appreciate what you're saying. But here's my question to you and Alan. Alan brought up the point about the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, whatever you want to call it, getting ready to collapse. The the Republicans in the House voted 72 times to repeal Obamacare. And yet about 45 of those times, I talked to, you know, guys on Capitol Hill representatives on Capitol Hill, congressmen, and ask them, why would you not, if you have a bad bill or a bad law, why do you not try to fix it? And they had no interest in fixing. They had every interest in repealing it, which they knew wasn't going to happen. And even when they you know, played that little game to get it done so it ended up on the president's desk after six years, they ended up with a situation where obviously he vetoed it and somehow they got off on that. Why, when, when this happens, regardless of who becomes president, whether it's Hillary Clinton, who we think will make it, or whether it's Donald Trump, who we don't necessarily think, but anything's possible. I'm asking this question, when they come back, meaning when the new, whether it's Clinton and the Senate come back and, and the House are ready, do you honestly believe at this point in time that that we are now going to start getting some governance in Washington as opposed to this loggerhead situation? I mean, because I, I don't see it. I, I would like to think it, but but I don't see it. Well, here's the I, thing. I, I, it's I, going I, to be a full okay. – go ahead, Tom. I'm sorry. No, no, Allie, you, you step in. After you, okay. After you, We're going to have a full-blown crisis, Okay. 
Now, the difficulty is many Americans are like myself. We're covered by Medicare. I have a Medicare supplement. Every time I see that commercial on TV, I said they could use me uh, for the ARP commercial. Me being a member of ARP is really funny when a conservative joins ARP. Uh, And uh, other people are covered by government insurance. Obamacare was aimed at a specific demographic. It was named at people, aimed at people who couldn't qualify for Medicaid, mostly younger people. And the idea was that it would be profitable for the insurance companies because younger people don't get sick as much. Well, what has happened is all these insurance companies who are on exchanges have found they're losing a ton of money, and it's failed. And a lot of young people prefer to pay the penalty uh, rather than uh, get the government-forced insurance. So the system is collapsing of its own weight, and something has to be done about that demographic. Uh, there are two things that can be done as a stopgap. Uh, you could allow people in their uh, over 55 to buy into Medicare, and there may be something to that because these, uh, the younger you are, the less likely you are to have illnesses. So 55 to 60 to allow people that demographic to buy in may not be that uh, problematic for the government uh, fiscal picture. And you may allow people to uh, perhaps buy, by paying a small premium to be covered by Medicaid. But those are just temporary fixes. The real issue is that neither party neither is addressing this. Hillary Clinton, may, as president, may want to go to a single-payer system, but that's not going to happen even with a big Democratic Congress. She had to learn from her experience with Hillary Care in 1993 that America doesn't want to pay extra taxes for a single-payer system. I think there's one fascinating development, and I wish my party, the Republicans, it still is my party regardless of my Hillary endorsement, I wish Republicans would start to realize uh, what's going on in the city of Pittsburgh, Jim, our old hometown, where it is no longer an employer-based system where insurance really comes from your employer and the employer pays a premium. Uh, What's going on in Pittsburgh is that people are buying what they call captive insurance policies from hospitals. And what that does, it eliminates the uh, outer insurance companies, uh, private insurance companies trying to make big profits on it all, that has a uh, cost control effect. The hospitals compete for doctors, which gives the doctors higher uh, salaries, yet they employ doctors, which lowers uh, their overhead. And at the same time, what is going on uh, in the, is that the captive insurance companies try to keep the cost down. It's good cost control. It's uh, good uh, competition. There's choice and competition involved. Uh, that's something the Republicans and Democrats forward-looking ought to look to and see how they can uh, get the Pittsburgh system uh, implemented in other parts of the country. But I don't see either party doing that. I'm really concerned about the health care crisis. I don't see either party having a silver bullet for that right now. Tom? Well, going back to your original question about why uh, Republicans voted so many times to repeal and, and not to fix, is because they ran on repeal. They didn't run on fix. And so I think that would be a, a, a repeat of read my lips, no new taxes, for them to say, yeah, we told you we were going to, to vote to repeal it, and we're gonna, we were going to try to get rid of it, but you know we can't do that, so we're trying to fix it. When, they're, when they were running on a platform of this thing is anathema to the way, uh, to the way Americans have lived their lives, if the government can force you to buy something, then you are no longer a citizen. You are a subject. And so that's why the, the idea of, of trying to fix it, I mean, it's, it would be trying to, like, trying to fix a, a 1943 Studebaker. The thing is, it was abominable from the start, uh, except for 
Chief Justice John Roberts rewriting the law in his chamber. It was it was uh, unconstitutional, um, and, and so that's why you come to loggerheads like this. You got you got a plan forced through Congress without a single Republican vote, with with zero Republican input, and that's why the pushback was so ferocious, and it's why we are at loggerheads now. Uh, the the idea that the Obamacare on its face is fixable is is I, I just I think beyond the pale. I don't think it's fixable. It has to be replaced, and the and you don't replace it until you repeal it. Fine. Then what do you replace it with? I am not an expert on this, but I think Ovik Roy has at Forbes has a really good plan. Um, in, and in fact, John McCain in two thousand and eight had a pretty good plan. He didn't understand it. He couldn't explain it, but it was a pretty good plan. It's the same plan that, uh, that, that, that Paul Ryan frequently touts, and it is the, – the, the term has, has taken on bad meaning. It's got bad juju all over it, but it's, it's the premium support plan. I, I always laugh whenever uh, one of my lefty friends says, well, you know, if Congress – had to live under our federal uh, under under the under the plan that they forced on us. They'd change right away. Well, Republicans tried to give America the federal plan in 2008 and sort of ran on it in 2010 and 2012 and 2014, and that is a premium support where every person in America gets a certain amount of money, and you divorce it from having a having a job from from your employer insurance. Everybody gets a certain amount of money, and you go into the private marketplace and say, I want private insurance. And if you want more, and, and that's exactly the way federal employees are treated, they are given a lump sum that will be paid to, a, uh, to, to an insurance uh, company for a certain level of coverage. And if you want higher coverage, you pay a little bit more. And if you want even higher coverage, you pay a little bit more than that. And that would have been that would have fixed everything. But instead, what we have is Obamacare, which is trying to wreck the system on its on its way to, oh, my God, this is so terrible. We might as well just turn it over to the government and have done with it. I agree with what Tom said about premium support. It is a very good way. And there are ways that can be uh, implemented. Uh, But I think also, in addition to premium support, we need a cost care mechanism on medical care. Uh, because what you have now with insurance companies really calling the tune, uh, it's not really cost control. It is a way of how, how do they maximize uh, premiums and at the same time minimize their costs. Minimizing their costs has not led to good cost control on uh, pharmaceuticals and uh, you know necessary health care services of that matter, which is why I urge everybody to read the book by Steve Brill, A Bitter Pill, that talks about what I've touted uh, ad nauseum here, the Pittsburgh system. Tell you what, guys, we're going to take a break real quick, and then we'll come back, and we'll continue this, and we'll have a little fun on some other topics. You are listening to the Politically Incorrect podcast on NewstalkFlorida.com and, of course, on BlogTalkRadio.com. We will be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host, the Washington Bureau Chief of News Talk Florida. And with us, Tom Jackson, Joe Henderson, and Alan Steinberg. And prior to our commercial break, uh, we were talking about 
how to fix the healthcare system, which uh, is going to come into play here, uh, no matter who is the president as of uh, 2017. And uh, I believe, Joe, you were going to say something prior to... uh, Well, yeah, just a, a couple of small points on that is that the the come November, if as we all assume Hillary Clinton wins in a rout, and Democrats uh, regain control of the Senate, which now seems more likely than not, and the House of Representatives, if it doesn't completely flip, certainly will not be the overwhelming Republican advantage that it is now. I got news for you, folks. You ain't fixing Obamacare. <laughs> Let's just deal with it. If anything else, they're going to layer on to it. And part of that, I would say, as as someone who just kind of stood back and watched a little bit of this, was the uh, what I heard from my two colleagues here was a perfectly reasonable, rational approach to try to fix our healthcare system. But what I think Americans heard was Sarah Palin screaming at the top of her lungs about death squads going to put grandma to death and, you know, all of the other hysteria that went on about this rather than a reasoned, sober debate. And that's, I think, part of the pickle that the Republicans find themselves in now is they have been so shrill over all of this stuff for the last seven or eight years that people, I think, tune out. Uh, when when they finally the rational voices come through and say no let's really there might be a better way to fix this uh, I as as a citizen and and consumer uh, would look forward to a to a better system than we have now but they got to dial down the rhetoric and got to dial down the whole you know you're killing my freedom uh, rap uh, that I think they carried to extremes during this whole healthcare debate. You know, Joe. I can accept what Jim is saying. uh, What Joe's saying. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, on Joe's point, I mean, personally, I could not get a policy because I had prior conditions. The ability to get health care, which I can do, even though it's expensive, is is something that that I really appreciate. I I don't think I. I'll be honest with you guys. You know. When you go and talk over on Capitol Hill about the Affordable Care Act, there's as many Democrats that are pissed off at it and not pleased with it as Republicans. But they all want to sit down and figure out a way to get this thing straightened out. And I do believe that Alan, Tom, Joe, that there is is a way – forget – let's take the name off Obamacare for a moment and put it down as health care and – in fixing healthcare in this country. I mean, let's go back. 1968, you all know that there was a, both Richard Nixon and Ted Kennedy had a four-year battle over both having plans that were far more radical at the time than what we're talking about here uh, with regard to healthcare plans. And, you know, Ted Kennedy on his deathbed said that the biggest regret of his life was not sitting down with Richard Nixon and figuring it out. And I don't believe that Hillary Clinton is going to even come close to trying to do a single payer because Alan, you know this as well as I do, when they tried to develop 
the original Affordable Care Act, one of the first things out of the block was the first was single payer, and that was dead and that was dead uh, on arrival before it even got started in Max Bacchus's caucus when he was putting the whole thing together. So I mean, well, I agree with you. That's yeah. what I, I agree with you 100. percent And I'm not being uh, self-glorifying of uh, you and this panel, but if you had four people like us, I mean this. Uh, we're not political candidates. If you had four people like us, you know, you have two conservatives, uh, you know, you have uh, Joe, uh, you know, responsible uh, Democrat Party. You have yourself, Jim, who is, uh, really covers the waterfront and is open to all types of beliefs. Four people like us could resolve the problem. Unfortunately, politics plays an ugly role in all this stuff on both parties' cases. And each party sees some advantage here. The Democrats will say, ah, look at the Republicans trying to kill health care. And the Republicans will talk about, look what a disaster Obamacare is. We can't get away. The reason I think that something will happen with Obamacare is even if people want to keep it in some form, the system is failing. Companies are leaving the exchanges like crazy. And uh, you're right, Jim, in terms of the fact uh, what Ted Kennedy said on his deathbed, there is a need for compromise and negotiation. But I heard something today uh, that concerns me a little bit in this regard. Uh, Hillary Clinton, who is, again, I've endorsed in this election. I've endorsed her because of my antipathy towards Donald Trump. She's winning by bigger, bigger margin. And what I've heard is that the Clinton campaign at some point may say, well, Donald Trump is dead, so we're going to campaign for a really leftward, what they call progressive ideology. That's a big mistake. Because if they go to Washington with the idea that uh, Hillary should govern to the sharp left, it's going to be like FDR in 1936 when he won a landslide, and then he comes out with court packing right after the election, and the rest of his term was a failure. Uh, you know, we, we have to hope that both parties will go to Washington with an idea of fixing the problem because there gets to be a point, and we're almost there, where politics – is playing too negative a role in terms of obstructing real solutions to real problems. Good point, guys. I'll tell you what, let's move on from the healthcare situation. And let's play a little fun. Let's have a little fun. Roger Ailes is now advising the Trump campaign. And uh, Rudy Giuliani is working with Trump on the debates, which... Uh, are coming quickly to a television near us. And unquestionably, the the debate ratings are going to be amazing. And here on the Politically Incorrect podcast, um, we will lead you up to that. But one of the things that Donald Trump has come out with is he's asking for, and Rudy Giuliani will be his his, uh, person in the room, he's asking for the Council on Presidential Debates for veto power over the moderators. First of all, I'll go to all three of you. Do you think that's fair? And second of all, do you think he'll get it? Go ahead, Tom, we'll start with you. As 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 a conservative who has seen more than one Republican nominee get torpedoed by a uh, by a moderator, yeah, I, I I think I think veto power is is certainly acceptable. This guy, these people are running to be the most powerful person on the planet. And if you can't veto a little old presidential uh, debate commission, then I don't know if you don't if you don't want that power, and if you if you're afraid of wielding it, 
I don't know what kind of president you're going to be in the, in the first place. So, yeah, veto power. Okay. Um, who would you like to see as your, th- um, I guess it would be four uh, moderators? I got to name four? No, think, pick one. You get to pick one. <laughs> well, you know what? I The, the guy – there, there was a guy who was doing uh, debate questions back in um, back in last fall, late last summer. I think that he is the best interviewer on radio today, and I, I, I think he he asks questions and get out of the gets out of the way. I would put Hugh Hewitt on any panel that I had because the guy no, he, he's he's a he's a lawyer. He's been a he's a he's a litigator. He knows how to ask a question and lead a witness and get out of the way. I would have you view it on any debate panel. Okay, fair enough. Joe? Well, I was just, uh, while you were talking, looking up uh, the most trusted person in America right now, and that's Tom Hanks. So I think we we have to eliminate Tom because he would be Hollywood and Republicans wouldn't trust him. So I would almost be in favor. And, and, and he's a leftist. And he's a lefty. Uh, I would almost be in favor of of something completely out of the box. And who says it has to be a member of the media or or anyone like that? I might comb the university um, ranks uh, to see if there's a maybe a political science professor out there somewhere uh, who leans neither left nor right, but but someone who, 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 who can call uh, baloney on a, on a question, if, if that's what the candidates are trying to do, who won't be intimidated, but nevertheless really knows the issues. I and got one more. Okay. David Gergen. David's a college professor and served uh, under President Clinton and also President Reagan. Well, the, uh, he, that would be an interesting choice, and, and most importantly, I would want somebody in there who wasn't mugging for the camera. And, um, you know, so I, it's an interesting question. Should, should the candidate have veto power? And since both candidates have to agree to this, I would say maybe you get, uh, you know, a, a couple of preemptive challenges to these to these people but at the end of the day you're, you're going to need to find somebody that probably should make both sides at least a little bit uncomfortable alan well i think that uh that for once i'm going to defend trump i think he has a point that both candidates uh should have some veto power over the moderators i think your suggestion of david gergen is excellent i have another uh suggestion of uh, David McCulloch, you know, the author of uh, right. Truman and Jefferson. Uh, I have another idea. In terms of the journalistic community, I would consider Wolf Blitzer. He goes out of his way, I think, to be fair to uh, people on all sides. I think Chris Cuomo is uh, another one. He had on Rudy Giuliani the other night, and he was very tough on Giuliani, but Giuliani said, you're fair. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you the main concern I have about debates. I do not want an audience of either liberals or conservatives. I think that the way the debates were in 1960 between John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon, 
You had no audience. You just had a panel because the audience can influence a debate. If you have a lot of people yelling and screaming, ah, Trump is full of baloney, ah, Clinton, uh, uh, you know, crooked Hillary, and they start yelling and screaming, they affect the judgment of the voters at home. Uh, so I, my major priority is that the debate should take place in the studio with a good panel of questioners and no audience. I would. I like that. I like that a lot. It's not a show. It's supposed to be a serious policy discussion. So take the audience out of it. I'm. I'm behind you 100 percent on that. Well, unfortunately, all right. four come come at universities where they have uh, where they're going to have an audience. The first there'll be uh, three debates. One, uh, two debates that are traditional, you know, policy type debates, and one town hall quote unquote debate where someone will um, you know they'll sit on chairs and and the most of the questions will be asked by the uh, the audience and of course there'll be a, a vice president's debate but uh it should be pretty fascinating stuff in the past it's pretty much been the main anchors of um you know back of the day so to speak and the pbs person so for instance gwen eiffel was um one of the um moderators back uh in 2012 um she was uh involved and and uh martha radis uh from abc who also does uh, the sunday show the stephanopoulos show uh, on abc she's often a moderator there she moderated the vice president's debates um so if that were the case if we're looking at at quote unquote the anchors we'd be looking at possibility of Lester Holt from NBC, the possibility of David, uh, uh, well, of Pat, Scott Pelley of CBS, and uh, possibly Chris Cuomo from CNN, and, and maybe um, David, um, oh, help me, what am I thinking? I can't remember his name, from ABC. Uh, David Muir? Oh, yeah, my wife David has a Muir. crush on David Muir. <laughs> Debbie, Jackson. Debbie Jackson is all about David Muir. I mean, we we record him. We watch. We, we don't watch him at six thirty. We watch him any any time he's on. It's just so your uh, wife will be sure to watch a debate with David yes, Muir as a uh, moderator. David, it, it, exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, you're 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 leaving out um, uh, uh, the guy from from Fox, Brit uh, uh, Brett, Brett, Brett. Which one? Uh, Brett Hume. Not Brett Hume. Brett. Oh, Brett Baer. Oh, Brett Baer. Brett Baer, thank you very much. Brett okay. Baer. Well, I, I would throw, I'd throw another name at you at that, in, in that case then. Savannah Guthrie. She's an attorney. Uh, knows how to lead an argument. You know? Excellent. Yeah, I think – I do like – personally, I do like the fact that there's only one uh, – usually there's only one moderator of a debate. Uh, with regard to uh, the presidential debates, because it does make it does give more time to uh, to answer the questions and more time to delve deeply into things, and less time uh, of worrying about you know which one of the panelists now gets to ask the question. So, and 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 that's a good point. And I think also what we're forgetting is that this presidential de- or these debates will just be between Hillary and Donald. It's not going to be the, the clown car that we saw during uh, the, the cast of thousands in the Republican debate where they were all, I thought fistfights were going to break out to get to, 
camera time during that. So this ought to be a little bit better as far as that goes. Yeah, I don't think there's now any. That's if Trump debates. I still think there's a possibility he won't debate. If he's way I, behind, I really he's do. got to. He's if he's way behind still, he's and he's still running. He's got to get on the stage. He's he's got to he's got to count on the uh, on the on the Reagan gambit. That once he gets well, on you stage, gave a with rational, her, you gave a rational answer, but the problem is we're not dealing with a rational guy. <laughs> well, you know, you've got a point there. You've got a point. <laughs> what you know, in a situation like that, and you're the moderator, right? I mean, if if we're talking about foreign policy or whatever, you know, Trump tends to like to you know, to riff. He's not one of these guys who who sits there and 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 enjoys just ans- answering questions, he he tends to want to goat his uh, his um, the person who he's debating. I don't see that anybody, frankly, from a moderator standpoint, would put up with any of that. I mean, he was able to get by in large part, and, and you know, let's be honest. Part of the reason Trump was able to handle the debates on the Republican side is because they were. They were actually all the people were picked handpicked by Ryan's Ryan's Priebus and 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 the people from the RNC. So you know they really didn't. They were able to run over this stuff because at the end of the day there were fourteen people and thirteen people and twelve and ten and five and seven. You know I think the last debate they debated was at least three or four, right? Yeah, well, it was down yeah. to that because yeah. so many candidates were eliminated. Right, but I'm just saying the the closest thing that that, that uh, Trump came to a you know to a small debate was like four people. I don't think he had any. I don't think he in that one that they were supposed to do three never happened. Yeah, he skipped yeah, out. He refused I mean, he to. Skipped, skipped out on the one. Yeah, he, he skipped. He skipped out when it was down to about five. But mm-hmm. which is which is why which is why. He wants uh, Dr. Jill and uh, and uh, Randy Gary on the on the sta- uh, Gary Johnson, yes, yeah, Randy, mm-hmm. Gary Johnson on the stage because he the more for him the more the merrier, right? But I, I just think that um, I don't know. I think it's going to be very fascinating because again, he won't be able to bully the the moderator. He's certainly not going to bully Clinton, so. I, I'm I'm you know I'm a little interested in what the you know what a debate would look like and whether or not you know I know that uh, you know you guys are saying that it's it may not happen it may not but I I don't I don't see how he gets out of at least doing one. Oh, I well, think I a think debate Trump should has, happen. If the debate happens, I think it's imperative for Trump. Did he get across a compelling message? And uh, he's had so many different messages that it's not clear what message he would uh, settle on. I think the most compelling message he could give, you know, for me to give advice to Donald Trump is kind of hilarious, but if I was uh, his advisor and I want him to give a compelling message, I would give an economic message similar to the one that Ronald Reagan had. You know, are you are you better off than you were four years ago? Now, the problem is, uh, even though Obama has been disappointing in terms of economic growth rate, most people are slightly better off than they were four years ago. 
but you could also talk about uh, the fact that, uh, you know, our parents, there was hope in previous generations for a better life. We need to restore that hope. In other words, give a message of optimism. Uh, give a message that, hey, I'm Donald Trump. I will work with don't don't say I can't I alone can fix it you know because people don't go for that but say I'm going to work with you to bring back our economy we can do it reflect optimism but it has to be an economic message because all the stuff about who co-founded ISIS uh, all the foreign policy stuff I don't think people really are, can be persuaded to believe in anybody I think it has to be an economic message I think it has to be one of optimism you know Alan here's here's the problem. That, that Trump would face uh, if he goes down the path you're talking about is President Obama is very popular right now. All the polls show that, that you know, probably if he ran again, he would win. And so if you take the tack that, you know, Hillary would be four more years of Obama, a lot of people are going to go, well, I'm all right with that. You know, so what he has to do is draw a common sense difference between himself and Hillary. And he has not shown the capacity to, to, at this point to be able to do that. Well, I agree with you, except for, uh, there's one thing I have to stress. I think the reason, and uh, this is odd, but the reason for Obama's rise in popularity and uh, public approval, it's interesting when you look at those polls, his approval rating's gone up, but an increasing majority of Americans feel that we're on the wrong track. And that's why I think a lot of Obama's uh, rising approval rate is a reaction against the decidedly non-presidential behavior of Donald Trump. So he has to show in the debate gravitas. He has to show in the debate self-control. He has to show – he has to really change his image. And if he gives a speech calmly and, – and not like his speech – his speech is on foreign policy, uh, as Jim indicated. It's like he's on Prozac. He has to give a speech where he, he projects strength, where he projects uh, very strong qualities of leadership. And if he can do that, he can possibly come back. But he's not going to make it in a debate if it's all going to be about crooked Hillary and Obama and uh, Clinton being the founders of ISIS. He's got to have a, an economic de- a message that he can deliver. And you're right, you know, uh, you know, Obama's popularity is rising, but I don't think people are totally thrilled with their, people do have economic insecurity issues, even if they approve Obama. And he had, and the election is one going forward between uh, you know Trump and uh, Clinton. So he doesn't even have to mention Obama. He can say, look, we you know this is a great country, we can do better, and I will work with you to make things better. But instead of just going off on this torrid negative, he goes off on. Yeah, I, I, Alan, uh, Alan, Joe, you guys are are, are very much. Well, Alan's more right than Joe at this point because, uh, I mean, you're, Joe, yes, um, President Obama's popularity is, is on the rise, and maybe there's a little bit of nostalgia going on that we've had his, we've had his winning smile for the past seven and a half years, and, and his lovely family, and things are somewhat better than they were immediate post-meltdown. But the idea that, that, uh, that Alan stresses would be the same campaign that JFK ran in 1960 when exactly. when uh, when when Richard Nixon was attempting to follow a very remain Ike remained very popular in 1960 and rather than run against Ike 
JFK said, we've had a good run. We can do better. And we can do better by switching parties and handing it off to a young guy who knows how to get things done. Um, and, and the country embraced that uh, narrowly, but they, but they none, nonetheless embraced it enough for him to win the election. Um, and I, and that's, that, is the, that is the campaign, I think, that a, a rational, normal Republican candidate would be running this year. That's the, that's the campaign that, that Marco Rubio would be running. Um, but we don't have that. We've got a guy who's, who thinks that, we, that he can talk down to Americans and say we're in a crisis and the only way to fix the crisis is to absolutely change everything we've been doing and elect me. Uh, Donald Trump is, is he's, he's counting on a crisis mentality bringing out enough white male voters to push him across the finish line in certain states. And I just don't see that. I mean, we're looking at the polling right now. I don't think the polling was rigged. I think he's in big, he's in big trouble because he's running. Americans don't like to be told that their that their country is screwed. He's running a cult of personality campaign. Yeah. One last one, guys, because yeah. we're getting long on time here, and that is, do you think? And this, I mean, the, you're right. The marbles are on the table here. Uh, he could change a massive narrative. If he had a good debate, is it possible that with tremendous coaching and and uh, and and focus that Donald Trump is capable of pulling off a a strong debate? I mean, it, the reason I say this is I remember back and someone who will be having on very soon, uh, Todd Webster. Todd was the uh, communications director for Clinton, I'm sorry, for Gore Lieberman. And, um, you know, that whole debate situation was, there were so many people that thought, well, gosh, you know, Gore is going to absolutely vaporize George W. Bush in a debate because George W. Bush was an ah gosh kind of guy. And, um, but George Bush was able to come across as a much more substantive person. I, I don't see a I, I don't see that kind of correlation this time. I, I see more of a person of can Donald Trump come across for ninety minutes in a presidential debate as someone who you could see in the Oval Office? And I'm wondering if this will be the final question for the three of you. Can he do it? I would say, Jim, he might be able to do it once. Mm-hmm. But if you remember Mitt Romney wiped the floor with President Obama in the first debate mm-hmm. and everybody in, t- in 2012 and everybody was going like, oh, my gosh, what happened to Obama? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Romney, great momentum. And then, you know, Obama got his act together uh, in the final two debates and everybody just went, eh, OK, we we like him. We'll vote for him. I don't think Trump can pull it together for three debates. I, I just don't. And so, yeah, there'll be a lot of eyeballs on the first debate and a lot of in, uh, snap judgments and everything. But at the end of the day, uh, I don't think it's going to help him that much. I really don't. Okay, Tom. 
Well, the, the thing that we're asking Donald Trump to do is to be somebody that he's not, right? The, 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 the debates that we are pointing to as critical to previous presidential elections, the, the one Carter-Reagan debate and the, and the debates between Gore and Bush were seminal moments because the country got to see who Reagan was and they got to see who Bush was. And they said, "Well, yeah, we could, we could, we could live with those guys." Um, we're asking Donald Trump to be somebody he's not for 90 minutes or two hours, three different times, and I just, I, I just don't think that he can fake it. I just don't think that he has the wherewithal to fake being calm and rational and on top of the issues and having solutions that he's thought through. I mean, Reagan was around public policy. For 30 years before he was the nominee, George W. Bush was around public policy his entire life before he ran for president of the United States, and he was a Texas governor for two terms. So he knew how to talk about public policy. I don't think that Donald Trump has demonstrated that he knows how to talk about public policy beyond the thickness of the veneer on my coffee table. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'll be watching. I think it'll be fascinating. Because if he tries to pull the same stunts that he did uh, as, as he blundered his way through the Republican debates, he's going to get his big old golden hair handed to him. Alan, final thoughts? Well, I'll uh, state it uh, somewhat similar to what Tom said. When Ronald Reagan uh, bested Jimmy Carter in the last debate of 1980, he was showing who he was, a sober, thoughtful man, and not the caricature. The problem is we've seen what Donald Trump is. He would have to, in a debate, reinvent himself, and I don't think he's capable of doing that. Okay, guys. Um, fantastic stuff here on the political, Politically Incorrect podcast. I'm Jim Williams, Washington Bureau Chief of News Talk Florida. Our guests today, of course, Tom Jackson, Joe Henderson, Ellen Steinberg. And in that order, gentlemen, give us – how people can uh, find your stuff. And by the way, uh, they should be checking out News Talk Florida this morning because all of you uh, have front page stories and all entertaining stuff to read. So Thomas, how can they uh, get in touch with you and find you on Twitter and Facebook? They can find me on Facebook. My page is Tom Jackson, journalist, entrepreneur, and they can find me on Twitter at Thomas Jacks Tampa, T-H-O-M-A-S. J-A-X, Tampa. Mr. Henderson. They uh, can find me on Facebook as well uh, with Joe Henderson, columns, commentary, and such. They can also find me on Twitter uh, at the initial J, Henderson, Tampa. And Mr. Steinberg. You can find Alan Steinberg, uh, yours truly, at, on Facebook at Alan Joel Steinberg. And you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at the symbol, the at symbol, A Steinberg 613 And I look forward to as uh, many uh, social media responses as possible. It's great to be on this show, and it's an honor. Guys, it's uh, been a lot of fun, and we know that uh, we're going to have fun next time as well. Uh, you've been listening to the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host. Uh, we thank Tom Jackson, Joe Henderson, and, of course, Alan Steinberg. Join us next time 
on this, the Politically Incorrect podcast. You can find us on NewstalkFlorida.com and also on blogtalkradio.com. Look for us there and also in the iTunes store, Google Play, and uh, tune in the TuneIn app area on your TuneIn app. Uh, you can find us there as well. So there's no reason for you not to listen to the Politically Incorrect podcast. Thanks very much for your time. I'm Jim Williams. For Alan Steinberg, Tom Jackson, and Joe Henderson, we say good day.